It, and you know, it, it is very different writing. I think that's part of it is that that really flowy, young, so hopeful, silver lined voice that I always had was gone. Actually, I'm not joking. I have a whole new voice. I just had to find it. Hey, Mama, what do you think of when you hear the word success? Fame, status, and fortune? What about rocking your baby to sleep or coaching Little League? Advocating for your special needs child or mastering meal planning? Maybe going back to school or starting your own business? The truth is success looks different for us all, and it may change depending on the season of life you're in. After finding myself in a dark place, I decided to set an example for my two boys by intentionally choosing what I wanted for my life and seeking it, even if it was scary. And now I'm so excited to bring you stories of other moms who are living out their version of success. I plan to ask these incredible women not only about their journeys, but how they are making it through the madness and the magic that we all know as motherhood. So, whether your assistant just brought you a hot espresso or you're rocking your baby on a third cup of reheated coffee, settle in and get ready for some goodness. I'm Shannon Carruthers, and this is the Successful Mama Podcast. Hey, Mama, and welcome to this week's episode of the Successful Mama Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Carruthers. I am a habited success coach for moms, and I love getting to show up here every week and interview incredible women who are living out their version of what it means to be successful. This week's episode is very near and dear to my heart because I got to interview my sister. Okay, so technically she's my husband's sister, but I claim her as my sister. Amber Haynes is an author, a mama, a wife. She lives in Arkansas with her husband, Seth, and their four boys, And I am just so grateful for this opportunity to have her on the podcast. I know you're going to love her. Her story is raw and real, and she's not afraid to share the hard things. I've always been so encouraged by Amber. I've always loved her writing, which I'll tell you about in the intro to the episode in just a second. But super fun fact, a few years ago, I remember hearing Amber on someone else's podcast. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there is no way I could ever do that. I could never show up and be on a podcast. (laughs) And then here we are, we've come full circle and I get to have the pleasure of having her on my podcast, which is so fun. I have not stopped thinking about some of the things we talked about, so I know you're going to enjoy this one. Real quick, don't forget to make sure you're following on Instagram at Successful Mama Podcast. And with that, let's get into this week's episode. Well, hi, Miss Amber. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Um, so I want to just get into things, but before I do, actually, I, I want to like brag on you a little bit and just say, um, y'all, my, my lovely, lovely sister-in-law who I just call her sister, you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I've loved about our family is I've just claimed my sisters as sisters. Right. Um, but I will just say that I was thinking about how to go about this interview and like what, you know, there's so many things, there's so many questions I could ask you because uh, I was telling you beforehand, like this is going to be one of the hardest interviews that I've probably done because I just know so much and there's so many things I want to talk about. And so like trying to narrow it down into just this short window is going to be really complicated. But all of that being said, I wanted to talk about your writing just a little bit because we're going to get into that and we're going to talk about, um, you know, poetry and, and just some of the things that you've lo- always loved. And, and I have never, ever loved poetry, <laughs> if I'm being <laughs> honest. <laughs> like, never. Um, in uh, fact, I remember and I vividly remember in high school being like, this is so dumb. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> and so anyway, um, but I will say this. I reading your writing I get it like 
And I, I can't say that about a lot of people. Like there's not a lot of writing, a lot of people that I can just connect with and go, oh yeah, like that makes sense. I understand why you say it that way. And it makes so much more sense than trying to say it logically. Because mm-hmm. um, to me, like my brain is logical. So I think like, just say what it is. Whereas right. like the, you know, I, I don't know, your writing is amazing. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. I'm um, not so eloquently, but um, so we're going to talk about, you know, the way that your story has taken some turns, your path um, from what you thought you wanted to be into where you are now. And also we're going to talk about a, a cool book coming out. So um, so you guys get ready. This is going to be a good episode without anything else. Amber, could you just introduce yourself? My name is Amber Haynes, used to be Amber Carruthers, and I am the author of Wild in the Hollow and of the upcoming book with my husband, The Deep Down Thinks. I I have four sons, too. I should throw that in there. Four sons. And they are how old? They are right now 12, 16, 17, 18. My goodness. Yeah. Which is crazy. I'll just say yes, that too. Like it is. I still see them all as so tiny. Um, okay, so I want to go with your story. I want to go back and just start kind of, you know, at the beginning where we start with most stories. But like, what did you see yourself as? What did you want to be when you grew up? And, um, you know, just just start there and tell me a little bit about that. Okay, well, this is a shout out to all the amazing English teachers out there. One time I walked into my English classroom where my teacher was alone in there and she had tears in her eyes and I walked up to her and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm reading your essay. And in that moment, I told myself I'm a writer because she called me a writer. And so I knew I would, I had no questions about what I would be when I grow up. I'm going to be a writer. I didn't know where I was going to write or what I was going to write, but I knew that. And so I got my degree in English literature, creative writing. And then um, in the meantime, I got married when I was a child. Not really. I was um, (laughs) just 20 and we were very young when we got married. So I finished my undergrad after getting married and then got into a really amazing program for Master of Fine Arts in Poetry. So that's where my poetry journey really begins, where I started taking it very seriously. I love that. And yeah, I think it's super important to remember the impact that a compliment can have for someone, Mm -hmm. like the words that we have towards someone else. And when we speak into someone else, what we see in them, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, a child, a teenager, a young, you know, someone who we are able to impact, but even to each other, to other women, I know that I have felt like I haven't seen myself in a certain way until someone else pointed it out to me and said those things to me. So like the power of that, that's what I heard. And, you know, in you telling that story, what stuck out to me. Um, And so after, you know, let's, let's keep going with your story after you get your degree. What, what happens next? Well, I didn't get my master of fine arts in poetry. It was a four-year program. And two years in, I got pregnant with my first baby. That's right about the time that um, Seth finished law school. So my husband's name is Seth. And um, we just had to go, I don't know, nosedive into parenthood. And he was in this big job with a big law firm. And I was at home with a baby. And then very quickly got pregnant again. I mean, okay. Y'all heard the ages of my children. Um, I had three boys in three years. And so I did not go back to the MFA program and I didn't feel really messed up about that. Actually. I felt like I had received what I needed to receive, even though I wanted to go back. I wanted the accolades. I wanted to be able to say that I had received the MFA from the University of Arkansas because it it was a great place, great teachers. And I loved that so much, but I did love the kid part also. (laughs) Yes. The kid part was good too. At at that point in time, like, did you have an expectation of what you wanted to do with that degree? Like when you finished or was it just like, 
okay, earn the degree because this is what I'm supposed to do. And then I'll figure out the rest when I get there. I have always been a figure out the rest kind of person. I, I, I wish I weren't, but I was just, I, I kind of thought that I might be a professor one day and I really expected to publish. Uh, you know what? How many people have made money being a poet when they grow up? I don't know. Not very many people. <laughs> Y'all, I got um, all of my student loans for, are for a degree in poetry that I didn't even complete. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I was there for the riches of the experience, truly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think you would take that same path? Like looking back now, this is just random. You mean knowing what I know? Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, w- okay. I would love to go back now. I mean, I would. I would go back now yeah. just for joy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to be said. Like, it's hard because we're there's so much pressure to, like, figure out what you want to do and do it and make the money and do the things. But also, like, finding that thing that truly fills you and that you know brings out the parts of you that are so deep down huh it's funny we're talking about the deep down things that's right why don't you just quickly tell us what are the deep down things um because i didn't mean to segue into that but i did a little bit so just tell us what are the deep down things then we'll get back into your story the uh, the title the title of our book the deep down things actually comes from a gerard manley hopkins poem and it is the grandeur of God. It is gorgeous. And it is about seeing God actually in the deep down things, like actually seeing beyond what even in the moment can feel like some darkness and serious despair. And so the book is actually about um, hope in seasons of despair. Find, and and not just hope like in general, but actually how do we participate with hope when we're yes in a hard time. I love that. I love that. And I, you know, I felt like I needed to at least, you know, mention it because I don't know that um, we may have said the title already, but I don't know that we did. So, um, so back to your story. So you didn't graduate, but you have sweet little baby boy and that transition. Seth is working, you know, y'all have got life is happening. And then you find out you're pregnant with baby number two. What what were the emotions during that time frame? Like how how were you handling that, um, you know, that transition from what you expected life to be to where you were? I I don't think I handled it very well, actually. But it the the hard part wasn't really centered on that I wasn't any in the MFA program anymore. I, I think I felt very close to my creativity. Um, I, I wasn't doing anything with it other than writing in a journal for most of that time. But, um, I I think I was struggling more because I had undealt with, um, trauma and things from my past that I had just like brought into my young marriage and then into three boys in three years. It's, it, it was a lot. And so I had a lot of physical breakdown in that time because that, tends to be what undealt with trauma will how it will show up is sickness. And then um, my third ended up very early. I mean, mean, he was weeks old when he got RSV and that was a little season of staying awake all night to make sure he was breathing. And I remember looking at Seth and saying, it is going to take me years to get better from this from this kind of tired, this type of exhaustion where you haven't slept and you have this many kids in diapers for years. And right. so, and, and I told, I brought that up recently to Seth and I said, I don't think I ever got better from it. <laughs> <laughs> Not to discourage anyone. I didn't actually heal. I just, <laughs> just, I just uh, found a new level, a new, a new way to, um, survive a new norm yeah so it it was not easy for me the the little kid stage of life was actually very hard for me well and you know just to to fill listeners in you also you know y'all live in Arkansas 
Um, but family is here in Alabama. And so you were the queen of packing up those little boys and throwing them in the van and driving all those miles to get here by yourself with, I mean, you know what goes into travel with one kid or two kids, <laughs> but in three tiny ones, like all the, the pack and play. And the, I mean, you bring the whole house, right? Everything. Yes. And yeah. so, um, goodness, I just... Do you ever look back and go, how did I actually survive? Like, how did I make it through that? Yes, I actually do. If I see a young mom with multiple small children, especially if they're boys, I, I'll just look at them like, I want you to listen to me. You are amazing. You are stronger than you know. I just want to give everybody the biggest pep talk because I look back at myself and think, wow. I mean, yeah. wow. Absolutely. That's- I feel that way too. Like, And I didn't have three. I just survived. I was trying to survive with two. Um, But I mean, even like one at times, it was like, how, how am I going to make it through to the next day? You know? Yes. Oh, Um, I just, just to encourage people who may feel that way with only one kid. I truly believe with all my heart that however many children you have, you're a hundred percent at capacity. That's as much as you can read. I love that. Yes. So one kid (laughs) hard. It is hard staying up all night with one kid. It is hard. Agreed. I remember it. Because, and I think that you can also see that whenever, you know, you're like, well, I don't, I don't know how I can take on any more. And then you do and you're at max capacity again, right? Like you, uh, goodness. Somehow we expand and there's no math equation to explain it. It doesn't make sense. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) So, okay. Um, I also, I know that during that time frame, you know, was the time of blogging and the time of, you know, people sharing things. And I know when I would go to work and one of my favorite things to do was check and see what was coming up on the blog. Um, cause you did start writing <laughs> I did, and that was how I kept up with those little critters. I loved seeing the pictures you posted and, you know, just the things that were happening. And, um, so, Tell me a little bit about that during that time frame. Where were you finding time to write? How important was that to you, um, given what you had been through and just your your mental status, I guess, of, of writing? Right. It was multiple things at once. It was a lifeline to me. And I think connecting me to a lot of other people in my stage of life who it was also a lifeline for. So in a way we were showing up for each other, um, through the blog, I actually met a group of women and we've been getting together once a year for over 10 years. Now, this will be our 11th time to meet. Um, it, it gave me real life friends and, in the beginning, it gave me people to show up to. So not just the people who would interact on a daily basis, but just there were numbers behind. This is the first time that there were actually metrics to show up with something I'd written. And so I would, and, and how, how many times it was shared. It was, it had never been done like this before, like in history, right. everywhere you have this right. immediate metric that tells you what I've done is good. Or what I've done is bad. Now, since then, I can look back and be like, oh, gosh, there's a lot of unhealth wrapped in all of that. Yes, absolutely. And but in those early days, it just felt uncharted and so fun and um, kind of glorious, kind of great, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and that's um, how I got my book deal, actually. Is it through that? Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So then um, baby number four comes along, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Tell me tell me about that. Okay. So we, you know, I was trucking along, blogging. We knew we wanted to have another baby for a while there. We were going to adopt and ended up um, canceling the adoption process. So there were a lot of motions and deciding to have a fourth. We had, um, we're, we're crazy people. We had moved from our home, let it rent out to people so we could live in some apartments next to our best friends because we really wanted to live out community together with people. And we did. And my best friend ended up having a baby and we ended up having Titus and Titus the first week home from the hospital, um, breathed 
really, really, really rapidly and then had a really rapid heart rate. And we found out he had a hole in his heart. And that was the beginning of a list of things that were slowly revealed to us over that first year where he had a hole. He had Chiari malformation, which is a hole at the where the spine meets the brain. And, um, and that can cause a lot of harm. Um, and he also ended up with an autoimmune disease, um, called eosinophilic esophagitis. And there were, we were in the hospital with him for over a month in one whack, but in, in spurts throughout. And at one point in our longest hospital visit, we believed we were, we would bury him soon. And so there was a night that Seth and I both um, rocked our baby and planned a funeral. I thought mm-hmm. about what songs, everything. Um, and then we had a like a change of doctors and he he came in and gave us a new protocol and uh, we were slowly able to um, get him to gain weight and grow. He had to come home with a feeding tube that would come out I and mean, he's a little baby and I would have to reinsert it myself. And that's, that is a lot of people's everyday new norm. That's right. where a lot of people who ha- have had to expand to, this is what I do now. Yeah. And um, it's just the normal. And so that, that season was really, really hard. It stopped me in my tracks. It was traumatic, but also not the kind of trauma that, that, um, that happens when you don't have a support structure around you. So sometimes we experience hard things and our support structure leaves us. And that is actually where the deep wounding comes in. We had a great support system here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So it was a mix of just heartache and fear and, um, but also seeing people show up and, yeah telling me it's okay that I'm a total wreck. Um, and, and, you know, learning to have some grace on myself when I'm not tending to my older three kids, how I had imagined I would be, but I did somehow in all that find the time to write because it was my lifeline. Um, not just to other people, but the writing of a book is very different than writing a blog um, it felt like a lifeline to God and it felt like a lifeline actually to myself. And so the writing of that story, writing the writing through that and actually just my my whole story. I mean, I, it, my first book, Wild in the Hollow, is autobiographical, you know, for I don't know, how old was I when I finished that? I don't know, 35 years of my life. So um, it was a young, young life. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but it went through that season and I wrote through that season and it was good. It was good to write through it. Right. Yeah. And actually, um, I was telling Amber, so the book came out when my oldest right after he was born and I was definitely at max capacity and I kept telling myself like, okay, I'm going to sit and read this book. I'm going to sit and read this book. And I would read like the first little bit and then life would happen and I'd put it down and, you know, then I'd come back to it and I'd read again the next little bit and then, and so I never actually finished it. And, and then like every time I'd see it, I'd be like, oh, I'm the worst. Like, I cannot believe I never finished reading your book. And um, I did actually. <laughs> I, but, I, it, it, but I did <laughs> finally finish. I didn't read anything. It's not like I was reading other stuff and not reading <laughs> your stuff. It was just I couldn't I couldn't make it through. So anyway, I did get to go back and read it recently um, and I thought about while I was going through, number one, again, just your writing, the way that you word things and like being able to see myself in those parts of your story of of where I am now, you know, or where I was and how the reflection, I guess your reflection also caused me to reflect back on, you know, some of those things or to be able to go, oh, yeah, that's exactly how I felt like that is putting it into the words that I didn't have at the time when I was going through that, if that makes sense. Yes, um, yes. And so I, I could definitely see how, you know, that act of writing was your lifeline and, and was giving you something that you truly needed at that time during your life. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, my goodness. And I, I mean, the time frame with Titus and oh, that was from my perspective, you know, was terrible. But I didn't have kids at the time. I knew that it was just an, a situation that nobody should have to go through, you know, one that you can't even describe with words. But now, you know, looking at it as a mama, Mm-hmm. When I went through and read that, of course, thinking of Titus because I know and love him, but also thinking of my boys and, and the experience that you went through. Uh, I mean, it just it's it's so much. And so the fact that you made it through and then also were able to put it into the words that you did is just I don't know. It's it's I don't even again, I don't have words for it. Like it's such a special thing that that you were able to do that through the season that you were in. OK, so. We, we get through that. We have the new book out. Um, life keeps happening. Let's let's keep moving forward with your story. When d- stepping back just a little bit, when Seth yeah. and I got married, he had this awesome degree in economics, but he decided that he was going to be a youth minister. And so when I got married, I married a youth minister. And so a huge part of this picture is that I first, before I thought I would be a poet, I mean, I always knew I would be a writer always. Right. Um, but that wasn't ever my main goal. Like, because you, you can only ever write out of like a lived life. You're not, you can't write. I mean, and I write nonfiction, so, you know, I'm not making stuff up. I'm writing about the real. And so my life and, and what I love is actually showing up for people as a minister. I've loved that always. I love to be with people. I love to walk through hard times, births, deaths. Um, that that is just one of my giftings, and I I still imagine that for myself. So, when I write this book, sharing my story, I like to say, and I, I'm, I'm sure I've, uh, many other people have said this: story begets story. And so people would come to me with their story. And so I, I started finding that I was ministering to people a lot, like having words of encouragement, saying, you can you can do this, you can keep going. And I found more and more that I was traveling as a speaker, but more and more, I wanted to be home with people in my town, face to face in um, in actual ministry. And so I'm a Christian. We started going to a little church and I started meeting with, you know, mostly women. And I loved this life. I still wrote, but it was not my main. Very quickly, after you almost lose a child, things, priorities shift. My goal was not, I need, I need those numbers anymore. I don't care about the numbers anymore. Um. I wish I had a recipe for that uh, other than um, go through something really hard. But um, I cared about seeing people change and seeing people know that they're valued and and deeply, deeply loved. And so, and that their stories matter. (laughs) So that became what I did is I became what is called a curate in the Anglican church. And I, Loved it so, so much. And our church ended up growing. And um, I stopped traveling and speaking. I started preaching. Um, I know that's risque for a lot of people to hear women preaching, but I did. And I loved it very much. And um, we ended up having to hire someone who would lead the church. So in an Anglican church, you have a priest. And we ended up hiring someone that we loved and and had a lot of hope for. And he ended up being um, just not super healthy. And um, a lot of people agreed and found him to be um, really manipulative and, and just hard, hard to work under. And as a woman working for him, he said a lot of inappropriate things to me and I had to bring those things to the table. And um, the church listened to me, but they also really wanted to protect the church. I promise things are going to get brighter and lighter here in a second. This is just the dark part. So they protected the church 
and um, and they sent him along, but but keeping everything a secret that he had said to me and and how hard that was to walk through for me. And I really disappeared altogether. I had to walk away because he actually for months after this season continued to preach and lead the church and um, control the, the narrative of his narrative and the church's narrative. And so I really just disappeared from what I had come to know as my vocation. And, and really, you don't mean to make your identity in what you do, but sometimes you don't know that you've made your identity in what you do until you lose what you do. Yep. And so I didn't know how much of myself and who I, who I am had been wrapped up in the vocation of ministry in this particular place. And so I found myself because I had asked for help and no one responded to me. They did in a sideways way, but no one responded to me as a support in the midst of that trauma I had found myself without a voice because my voice didn't matter. I found myself without a vocation and I found myself with a huge loss of identity. And so, and then COVID hit. Boom. And so there's, you know, so we're alone in our house. And yeah. um, so that, that is really where the beginning point of the book, the deep down things happens that that is the description of where the despair starts yeah wow. and so then the rebuilding from there around my vocation and identity and my voice is you know leads me to here right yes i love that and i you know i want to go back just a little bit because you talked about the importance of community you know through finding community in your blogging through finding community in the apartment that you lived in and then providing community, you know, for those around you and, and, you know, just making those connections and having that support, you know, in walking through the season with Titus and in how valuable that was to you. So when you're, when you're walking away from this situation in the church and you feel like alone in a sense, because you're, you're not, your voice isn't being heard, as you said, like, mm-hmm. what does that feel like of, did you have community still in that space? Or did you feel like that was not really uh, something that you had available to you in that time? It, yes, in a sense we did, but also no. I mean, we lost our church and our church was our lives. Um, our very best friends stayed with us. They left with us with nowhere else to go. Our very dear friends who were in leadership with us. And I say us, meaning me and Seth. Seth was the worship leader. Um, so our very dear friends who were in leadership, who had made the choices and and really had been instructed by the higher up leadership to um, kind of cover up what had happened to us and to protect the church. Um, they over time did very, very hard work to show up to us and truly had never actually left our side. They just did not um, validate what had, what I was going through. Um, That's, that's not even, that's almost too simple of a thing to say what I just said. Uh, So they were there, but it was, it was like our relationships were there, but they were broken. Right. They would never be the same. Yeah. And, and then you walk into COVID and right. it's a whole nother ball game, right? Right. So talk to me about that time frame um, and what the beginning of grief looks like and the way that you described that. It, it looked at first like a lot of guilt because I know I'm supposed to be writing. I know from previous experience that writing is my lifeline. I'm, I should be writing. I should be going to my desk and getting all this down but I was blank. Again, I said, you know, I said I lost my voice. And so some parts of it were really beautiful because I let myself off the hook for a lot of things. And I think a lot of people did when everything shut down during the pandemic. um, Our kids were home from school. Seth was home. 
we actually were taking family walks and doing things we had never done before. We were baking all this stuff. And some of it was like, okay, this feels kind of healthy, which is weird. I almost feel guilty saying it. But we enjoyed that. I enjoyed going to my garden and that being what I had to do that day. So because I wasn't doing all the runaround for the kids that, that I had, that was just like, felt like it was killing me. It was all I could do in a day. And then, um, so there, there was some beauty to see in it and I did, but I couldn't, could not get the words down. And so that, and really actually we've written the book together. Seth wrote half, I wrote half. I don't know how I did it other than I kept telling Seth, I can't. And he kept saying to me, I know you can. And I would be like, okay, I'm going to go in the room and click on the keyboard and we'll see what kind of crap comes out. I just had the worst (laughs) attitude. And then, and then I'd be like, oh, okay, that's a chapter. I might have rewritten that chapter 40 times, but I did it because he said I could. Yeah. So again, that power of someone feeding into you what you need to hear. That's right. And so I, um, I I press forward and, you know, it, it is very different writing. I think that's part of it is that, that really flowy, young, so hopeful, silver lined voice that I always had was gone actually. I'm not joking. I have a whole new voice. I just had to find it. And I don't think I've said that out loud, Shannon. I love that. Kind of makes me want to cry a little bit. (laughs) And I'm so grateful that I found it. And I hope that's encouraging to people because um, I think we can go through hard things. I see it all the time. We go through hard things and we're like, I don't even know who I am now. What I used to be is, you know, yeah. Gone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've, we've talked about matrescence on the podcast and about how you go through this change as a mother, you know, you, you step into motherhood with this expectation of what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden you don't know who you are anymore and you've lost this sense of who you are and yourself. And you have to figure out again who you are as a mom like, what does it mean to be me, but me as a mother? Mm-hmm. And so I, I love that you said, like, you you did find that again. And it took walking through a dark place in order to actually find it. Right. Um, and I think it's so hard for us to remember in those dark seasons and those hard times when we're like, I'm at full capacity. I can't keep going. There's no way. Like, there's, there's just nothing left to give. But... Right there is the other side of it and like it it is coming you can find yourself and who you know finding your voice and who you're supposed to be um, on the other side of that and so I, I love the way that you put that just now um so we I want to I want to talk a little bit about the book um as far as one of the things hold on I wanted to really, I wanted to read just a little section, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this this stood out to me when I was going through because I think it is really relatable to all of us mamas. Um, and you, you can expand on it a little bit as far as um, your thoughts on it. But it says, my greatest addiction is the one where I tell myself I'm on my own here to fix what needs to be fixed. And I excuse it by telling myself it comes from a good natured mama heart. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend the sneaky martyrdom that needs to constantly take the temperature for loneliness and doubt, insecurity and despair to try to assuage them all. All addictions lie to us, and this one is no exception. It boasts of a backward and lonely kind of grandeur when it tells me it is up to you and you are on your own here. And essentially you say, if I don't, who will? Like, it's all on me. And I think that as moms, we we gravitate to that on a daily, yes. hourly, minute, you know, basis mm-hmm. because we feel like it, it 
it has to be all of us. You know, it's, it's up to us. What do you think of now as far as where you are in your journey of motherhood and where you started, how has your perspective on this addiction, as you call it, how has it shifted in that transition through motherhood? Oh, I mean, it still sneaks up pretty hardcore now. I'm be honest about that. But I have definitely changed. And and one of the ways that I have been able to do that is that I have watched my mother-in-law do some very hard work. And she is one of those women who just never stopped growing, never stopped trying to be a better person. And we have, I mean, my mother is like this too. I mean, you, you know her. We have yeah. these amazing influences in our lives, but I live close to my mother-in-law and she has released so much control and she entered into a 12 step program and um, it was a huge, huge part of her journey to deal with um, what people call codependency. And so I, I, as I've heard her reflect on that, I'm able to say, oh gosh, I sometimes would like to make people codependent on me. And I have lived in some unhealthy codependent relationships before. So my job is to get rid of these kids. <laughs> Not really. I know they're always <laughs> right. going to come back. But yes. but um, I one time was talking to her, my mother-in-law, about how I just, I really, really want to take my kids to Europe. I've always dreamed of going to Italy with my four kids. And I don't know how we'll do it. I don't know how we'll ever do it. I don't foresee ever actually being able to do that. And she said, well, you know, I don't want to step on your toes. She may not have said it like that, but basically I don't <laughs> want to step on your toes, but maybe you're not the one that gets to go to, to Italy with your kids. And it was actually the, for some reason, it was the sweetest thing she could have said to me. Because really? all of a sudden I was like, yes, I know it sounds like a negative, but all of a sudden I was like, oh, I've been inserting myself as the answer, as the way to Italy, the way to humility. I'm the way to, you know, all all these things that they need to learn and experience. And now all of a sudden I'm at the end here with, I mean, I have a, a kid in college but he happens to live with us this, this first year of school. And then I have a senior in high school and then I have another one just right behind that. And so I'm like, it's over. <laughs> like the stuff that they're, the stuff that they're going to learn um, so far as, you know, all these great life lessons for the most part, it like I've, it's done right now for the most part, I'm just listening to them work it out. Yeah. And I can respond to that, but I have to respond in a very tricky way as a, my position as a listener. I'm not the guide. I'm not holding their hand, pulling them along anymore. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, other people are going to step in. They're going to be voices, voices of reason, voices of wisdom for them to hear. It's not all on me. And so it, there's been a, like a release in the last it may be truly just a year where I'm, I'm letting go. I don't have to teach them every single thing they need to know before they leave the house. That's such good perspective. And I honestly, I still have like a knot in my stomach from you saying that was the sweetest thing she could have said, because I'm over here going, that would be the worst thing in the world with my boy. Like if I want to do something with it, but then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. At, at this moment in my life, they mm -hmm. still do depend on me for all that's the right. things like that's still a normal thing. But I do remind myself that one day that's not going to be the case. And like, I definitely have those emotions wrapped up in like, how am I going to let go of that? Like, I think that's why that mm -hmm. hit me so hard, because I'm like, I am going to have to let go of that one day. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Yeah. My mom is going to cry over here. <laughs> You got me. You got me thinking about these things. Um, but yeah, I mean, just releasing that responsibility that it's up to you to do it all, I think is right. so insightful and such a reminder that we 
all need to hear as mamas. So, um, so I want to give you an opportunity just to tell, you know, who, who is this book for? If you were to say like, who, who needs to read your book? Well, um, gosh, that could cover a pretty wide range. I will say we are Catholic now. And so it is a religious book, but I would hope that people, and it it actually is the story of us becoming Catholic simultaneously, because that's what I'm here to do is write my story. But I would hope that people are able to read it as just like, let's listen to her story. Let's listen to Seth's story. So as we figure out how to participate with hope, like take action in hope, even if you don't feel hope, that's what we're writing about here. So I'm writing particularly to people who are in despair or struggle with seasons of darkness and despair. Um, I hope that um, people of all faith backgrounds would relate to to that. Actually, I wish no one related to despair, but I think that we do. I think that we all can come together in hope, no matter what our faith background is. I agree. And um, another group of people that we really want to read this book and believe this book is for people who are holding out hope for others. So sometimes we find ourselves as the one who are, are, who deeply loves someone who is in despair and we don't know how to pull them out. And so that, that would have been Seth's position in this, in the book and, and really creating some, like putting some language around how do we do that? How do we move forward when the other person is, is, doesn't know how to move forward? Yeah. I love that. Um, well, why don't you just let everybody know? Cause the book is coming out when, when this airs, the book will be coming out tomorrow. Um, so Yay. go ahead. You need to go get a copy. You can still pre-order, which is great. So I want to tell everybody, where can they find this? Where can they find you if they want to connect? Well, you can find me, um, often on Instagram at Amber C Haynes. It's H A I N E S Amber C Haynes. And I also have a Substack from there that you can find where I like to write newsletters. And that is where I do a lot of my writing. And I hope to continue doing that. But the book, The Deep Down Things, is going to be Amazon, Barnes & Noble, just your big box bookstores. But also would love for you to find it at your local bookstore. If it's not there, you can ask for it. And also look in your library. If it's not there, you can ask for it there too. So I think that would be, um, I, I just love little bookshops. So yes, me if we too. can get them There's there, let's happy. do that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, awesome. Well, I want to ask you now, Miss Amber, the big question of the podcast, which is what does success mean to you? I feel like this doesn't have anything to do with what I was saying before, but, um, I really, really, really want to see my kids love one another well. And I wouldn't have given that answer five years ago, but that is, um, I want to see my kids love one another and love people in this world really well. And I feel like I'm seeing them do that right now. I feel like um, the fact that we love to bring people into our home and to be present with people has, has given them some landscape for that. And um, we have, created a community who blesses one another and speaks good kind words to one another and calls out the good that we see in one another and I'm seeing my kids begin to do that and so that feels like I cannot imagine a greater success than that and the writing along the way the ministry along the way I actually think it feeds into all that for my kids I think that's an, an amazing answer. And I will say, like, we adore your boys and, you know, our boys. We claim them as ours, right? <laughs> but we adore them and we talk about, like, 
how kind and present they are with our boys. And I'll start crying again if I talk about this. So, um, but yeah, just, I think you're doing that and setting that example for them and they pick up those things. Like you said, like they, they see those things and then begin to, you know, adopt them in their own lives because of the example that y'all are setting. So I love that. Um, that, well, they, they have really good aunts and uncles and, um, they basically worship the ground that Will walks on. So, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> He's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's, but it's, yeah, it's, that, it's a good influence. So, yes. All right. Um, so I do have some rapid fire questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, and so I want to go through those really quick. What is your coffee order? Oh, oh, on a fun day or like a skinny day? Okay. Um, a fun day, of a course. Fun day. A fun day. I really like anything with cardamom in it. Okay. And, and oat milk. Mm hmm. So usually a fall drink, but not pumpkin spice. Nope. Oh, I know. I don't. All I, day. I love you, pumpkin spice people. <laughs> I like the fall drinks that are creative beyond that. And I love you, non-pumpkin spice person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two. How clean um, does your house stay on a scale of one to ten on average? Oh, um, we just moved to a new house, and it stays. At a solid 7.5. Okay. The house that we moved out of, which was a tiny rent house, it stayed uh, maybe at about a six. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Has that shifted any since the early days of motherhood? Um, you know, I have had very, very, I am all or nothing, baby. I am all straight or all a wreck. And yeah. I mean that like, uh, I mean, totally terrible or totally great i love it all right number three what is a book or show you have recently loved oh gosh i just finished demon copperhead king solver and it is fiction it is especially if you're from the south it'll rip your heart out um and i'm from alabama and it, there were times that I was like, I can't I actually had to pray through some of it. I was like, I can't finish this because parts, parts of it were painful, but yeah. so real. And the um, end of the book, it just pays off. It's so worth it. Demon so Copperhead. Oh, okay. All right. And last but not least, what is the most random item you have in your purse? <laughs> I have headaches. And so I have this little like, snorter sniffy thing i don't know it's like a snorter sniffy it's like a, i don't know it's like a thing that you smell and when i have a really bad headache i mean i will put that thing to my nostrils like, like and just like sit there and deep breathe in my nose and it's so weird and that's the weirdest thing in my purse I love it. So good. You'll have to send me what the snorter sniffer thing is because I probably need it for my migraines too. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, Amber, this has been so good. I knew it would be. Um, I feel like we could have talked for forever, but, um, but thank you for coming on and for sharing your story and your book. Y'all make sure to go and grab your copy and um, we will head out and see you next time on the Successful Mama podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Successful Mama Podcast. For more information, head on over to SuccessfulMamaPodcast.com where you can find show notes and all of the links mentioned in today's episode. Tap that share button and remember to tag at Successful Mama Podcast. And make sure to go leave a review. It really does help. A special thanks to Will Carruthers. Until next time, remember mama, success looks more than one way and it's up to you to define it.